Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. For most managers, you move from position to position. You get on a new team, you hire new people, you lose some people. And it's always a tough thing to try and think through when you're in a new environment, when you're trying to create a team atmosphere, particularly if you take over a position where the last leader wasn't a good leader, how do you gain the trust of the people up under you, of the people that you are in charge of leading and helping them achieve their, their performance goals? If you understand anything about psychological safety, Timothy Clark and Amy Edmondson are probably the two leading or at least the most well-known people in this area right now. And both of them say that unless you have psychological safety, you cannot have inclusion and you cannot have innovation. So if you're interested in what does it take? I mean, really down to this is what I did. This is what the result was. If that's what you're looking for, then this podcast is for you. My guest is Carla Carlis, and you're going to learn more about her in just a few minutes. But I want you to understand that if you're looking for actionable steps, this podcast is written for you. Carla A. Carlis is an author, speaker, and a child and mental health champion. Her passion and staunch advocacy for children was born out of her personal experience, fighting the system for eight years to save her son's life. She hosts a Facebook page called Care for Caregivers, which focuses on supporting each other through the good and tough times. She's a 2020 TEDx speaker. Her talk, Becoming Trauma-Informed, Changed My Life, The Least and the Lost, is furthering the movement to become trauma-informed and an advocate for those who have yet to find their own voice. What I will say about my guest today is that Carla, before she became involved in this movement of mental health and being a champion for those who have gone through trauma, she was a corporate executive. And this is her story while she was there. One of the most beautiful things that you will find in this in this episode is that the reason Carla was able to transition into yet another career is because she understood how to be a great leader. And it all started when she was working for the government And this podcast, short, remixed, will actually walk you through what it means to create a culture or a team that is high performing and also inclusive, and that it delivers the kind of outstanding results in a way that some people who are listening to this might say, oh, that soft skill stuff doesn't mean anything. But Carla is living proof that not only do those soft skills matter, but they are the differentiating point that matters most when you're looking for the best out of the people that you have. Good morning, everyone. And I am so happy to have Carla Carlisle here sitting with me today. 
Um, and we're going to talk about women in the workplace. And we're going to talk about it from a perspective of how do you keep being powerful and showing up as the leader that's all that is in all of us. And yet we have this other life that we have to deal with. And to get some tips about this is a woman who, in my mind, is probably um, definitely in the ultra strong category. Not only did she um, go from one career and traverse through a number of careers, but in her last career, she's now has written a book called Journey to the Sun, and that's S-O-N. And it is about her story of adopting a young man who God placed in her life to say, it is the gift for you, but more importantly, or as importantly, it's a gift for him. So could you please welcome Carla to the table today? Thank you. And thank you so much, uh, Denise, for having me. Um, I'll start off with just a brief introduction of who I am. Um, as you mentioned, I've had uh, a few careers. And so I'll start off with saying uh, right out of undergrad, uh, I graduated from Indiana University uh, from Kokomo, Indiana, and I went right into the FBI. I worked in, in the intelligence field. I went from there to work for the U.S. Senate. Uh, which was really interesting. I was in Washington, D.C. at the time for the FBI and the U.S. Senate. And then I really saw that that probably wasn't the right field for me. And I was very much interested in the rights of employees. And so I ended up going to American University as a uh, working in a job share role in human resources. And with that, I ended up going to a program, which was an executive weekend program in human resource management. And I also became a full-time employee at American University while I was doing my executive master's in human resource management. So I completed that program and just through networking, I ended up getting an, an, a job offer with what was then EDS, which has since become uh, Hewlett Packard. With that, I went back to school and got a master's degree in organization development. And, and I also received a graduate certificate in, in um, change management. And so I had all this education and I was surrounded by a people who like my my little master's degree was was uh, paled in comparison to all these highly educated people with who had PhDs and law degrees and multiple degrees. But it, it was it was so empowering and they were so willing to support and mentor me that it inspired me to do more. And so my stint with the government was kind of the building block to get me into this world of government consulting where my peers may or may not have ever worked in the government, but they always strived to learn and do more. I continued to climb up the ladder. I had a, an amazing manager who is an executive now at Atrium Health. His name is Rocky McGregor. And Rocky really took me under his wing. I became good friends with Rocky and his wife. 
And he helped me kind of learn the lay of the land in Charlotte, which is very different. Oh, Mecl- yeah. Mecklenburg County is very different than the experiences I had in the Washington, D.C. area. The DMV, it was much harsher. Mm-hmm. So I say when I came down south to Charlotte and Mecklenburg County, I had to shake off my city edge. Yeah, yeah. I had to learn a about relationships in a very different way. And there was an openness to the relationships that I had not experienced in D.C. Right. And I think that's something that a lot of people coming to Charlotte have to get used to. Absolutely. Is that, you know, and and as as my listeners know, I've moved 10 cities. So Charlotte is my 10th city and every city has a particular um, rhythm and culture to it. Absolutely. But Charlotte is different or Mecklenburg. And and as I get out in North Carolina, it's it's pretty much the same. It just gets a little better or deeper. This idea of the relationship matters um, as much, if not more, than the skills and competency of the person. Yes. It takes networking to a very different level. Absolutely. So the skill set has to be there, Mm -hmm. but who you know really matters uh, on a whole different level. Now, it's interesting because you would think that's true in Washington, right? It is true, but in a different way. So can you give us a little or a story? Sure. Let me. What I would say is I probably learned, and tell me if I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but I probably... When I worked on Capitol Hill, it was very cliquish. And I had a difficult time breaking in mm-hmm. because I probably wasn't in any of the cliques. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked, as I mentioned, in the Office of Senate Security, and we handled classified briefings, classified materials, et cetera. So we were separate. We were not political right. in nature. And it was a very small office. And I just had a difficult time connecting. Yeah. And what I learned through that time at Senate Security was that employees on Capitol Hill don't have the same rights as employees elsewhere. Okay. And when I had difficulties, there was not really anyone for me to turn to. Mm-hmm. And so as my time there became increasingly more difficult. And as I saw things that didn't feel right to me, there was no path. Mm -hmm. And so moving forward and and taking that leap into making a shift was a huge step. Because typically when you go into the government, you don't leave. Right, right. One of my closest friends was an FBI agent. And I remember we used to have conversations and she would say, just seven more years to retirement, Mm -hmm. just five more years. And I thought, and by this time I was in corporate America. Mm -hmm. And I thought five years is a long time for you to be miserable. Right. You deserve better than that. Yeah. So, So, So a lot of people, you know, are coming out of, which is very interesting because now we have this kind of full employment. Everybody says the game is, you know, for anybody. And they endured a bad economy to stay into a job that they may or may not have liked. But there are a lot of people today who 
now that kind of the shackles are off, the mm-hmm. economy is switched from an employer's market to an employee market. Yes. They have that freedom. And but the thing I hear the most is I don't know how to reinvent myself. Yes. Well, what about you? How did you take that moment? Because you're we're talking you came to Charlotte in 2005 ish or so. Yes. So it was just the economy was just about ready to break. And you took a big leap to reinvent yourself or to, you know, to move. What, what, where did that come from? Where did that strength come from? Well, I, what I would say is that the biggest leap for me was leaving the government because Mm. that was a big part of my identity, especially when I worked for the FBI. Mm -hmm. When I had to return my credentials, it's like someone took my arm Mm. because it was so much a part of who I was. Mm -hmm. So once I left the government, it was kind of, it it was more or less like the world is, is open. Okay. Like it, anything goes. And what I found was I had this skill set. So while my degrees are in human resource management, and let's go back to the whole concept of Charlotte and the South and the focus is on people and relationships. I had this skill set in project management, program management, communications, but I knew how to interact with people. Yeah. And that's really what it took. Yeah. And so with the right guidance, again, I had this wonderful manager slash mentor and friend who was able to help guide me through. Mm-hmm. And so with that setup, I found myself very successful uh, and hired very quickly uh, into a Fortune 100 company mm-hmm. where, you know, within the first five years, I led a very successful implementation that was considered um, a non-event for HR. It basically we we redid the entire HR system. Yeah. And when the head of HR tells you it's a non-event, meaning yeah. that everybody got paid and right. nothing went wrong, right, right, right. Then you know you did good. Oh, you did more <laughs> so, than good. You yeah. So you can good. pat yourself on the back with a with a huge team yeah. of amazing people. Yeah. And so it was a major confidence builder, but also I had the support of my leadership. Right. And so I was in that sweet spot. Right. Right. And at, at that time, those skills were valued. I was valued. And I felt like, hey, I'm ready for the next level. Right. And I was positioned by my manager to go to the next level. Wow. And I had been put in a position where I was asked to take on the uh, IT liaison role for our company's culture survey. Okay. And so I had already been interacting with all of the technology leaders across the company. So you had the relationship. So I already had the relationship. So when a leadership position opened up and the direct report of the CIO mm-hmm. wanted to bring me into that role. Wow, he picked you. He selected me and the support was there. Right, right. And so I ended up with a a, a nice sized 
Carl, I want to know one thing, and I think my listeners would be fascinated by this. You've moved through being government employee and particularly a very specialized government employee to a university setting and now into corporate America. What was it that made you successful as you transitioned into corporate America? Because corporate America is very different, especially working for a large company. It's very different than working both in a university as well as for the government. I will say very candidly, I always sat in the space once I got into corporate America of IT. Right. But I dealt more with the people side of technology. Right. So I would say I've been that bridge between technology and people, technology and the business. Right. And so one of the things that um, when I meet a new executive who's interested in, in working with me, I told them that they always ask, well, you don't know anything about my business. You don't know anything about, you know, the technology. You don't know anything about how our business runs. And I said, yeah, you're, you're probably right. But what I am is an implementation specialist. And an implementation exactly. specialist is just someone who understands how to get people together. Right. How, how words, how tone, how strategy matters yes. to those people, pulls them together and has them row in the same direction. Absolutely. There's not anywhere, you know, you got fortunate. Somehow you you bridge both your technical spills and went to the people side. And so now you have this great package that has led to um, incredible success Um, because an enterprise wide and a Fortune 100 HR implementation, HRAS implementation is no joke, folks. It is no joke. It's no joke. (laughs) And and I will tell you, we had a team of onshore, offshore. We had multiple experts. You know, it it was an amazing experience. Lots of long days and nights. Uh, But it was something I wouldn't trade for the world. Oh, yeah, because you learned, not only did you learn so much, but it's, Project management is really nice for us as humans because there are clear milestones. And if you hit those milestones, Mm -hmm. you know you did a good job. Right. Wow. I'm just going to stop here just for a hot second because I really want you to stop, pause, and take in exactly what Carla has shared with us. These are real life stories that she has given us of how she sometimes stumbled into, but a lot of times was intentional in learning how to navigate the cultural waters and become the kind of architect of a high performance team that you read about in books. In the meantime, what I want to say is this, if you like what you've heard in this particular remix, there's a full story that you can hear, not just about what she did at work, but also her journey to the sun, which is her newest book that came out about how while working, Carla was adopting a son from a household that was very dysfunctional. You'll hear all the drama and story of how do you come to work after you have been slapped and almost wrecked your car by the birth mother of the son that you are trying to adopt. I encourage you to go back to episode 11, listen to the full story where you'll not only hear how she managed to keep her team together, but the journey that she went through in learning more about herself, where her boundaries were, and what it means to be a good leader and a good mother at the same time. If you like these stories, I encourage you to just go wherever you listen to this podcast and hit follow so that you won't miss any new episodes. But also what I'd love more than anything else is that if you really like this, please leave me a review so that other people will find this and see this content as valuable as you do. 
when thinking about how you're going to craft a culture, one of the things that you have to do is think about it from the totality of what are the messages that you're sending to people. In this next section, Carla talks about how she and her leadership decided how they were going to help people put an end to the project, but also what did they do to make sure that the values were in place? Mm-hmm. Which is we took the time to celebrate. Yeah. Yes. And so everyone got to say, hey, look what we did. Yeah. But look what we did together. Yeah. And so you had IT and HR right. walking in lockstep. Right. And and oftentimes we're at odds. Oh, we're yeah. butting heads. Oh, but yeah. in this case, we weren't. We were true partners. Right. We had a, a, um, a system um, integrator that we worked with. You know, we had our moments, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, we all pulled it together. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it, on one of my um, in one of the companies I worked in. We not only had the celebration, but we also had the grieving process because uh, nice. once you have the celebration, once mm-hmm. the project is done, and you have to go back to your whatever jobs or the team is disbanded for good reasons. Yes. I mean, we need your resource. The company needs your resources someplace else, right. skills somewhere else. There's a loss right. because when you go through that much um, work, that much un- uncertainty, is it going to work? We hope it's going to work. Let's test it. And the hard work and the camaraderie yeah. and the brain trust that kind of develops that through this friendship of skills and delivery, mm-hmm. then it's gone. And it's like, huh? Exactly. Is there anything else that you guys thought about or did that helped to make it so that employees felt safe? One of the things that was amazing about it was that we did not, on the IT side, lose one employee because we were able to retrain them Ah, on the new system. And so that was a huge win. Yeah. Because those employees were very knowledgeable on the old system that had been highly customized right. and knew nothing about the new system. Yeah. But they all came up to speed through this long project right. and uh, they were trained, they were hands-on. And right. so it was a win. Right. So we were still together right. in some form or fashion. We just had a different focus. Right. That is sure. such a huge message yes. to the rest of the company. Absolutely. That, you know, if that this is a company that's not only invested in being successful in the marketplace, obviously a Fortune 100, but they are successful because they also understand that the message that you send to employees is if we hold you to the old technology, when the new technology or the new process comes in place, we're going to make sure that you're if you're willing Right. We will help you become successful in the new way that we're doing business. Yes. Huge, huge message it to is. those on and those watching. Yes, it's a, it's about valuing people. And it's not just saying that as a part Absolutely. of your, you know, this is our culture and we value our people. It's showing it. Yeah. It's living it. Yeah. Because I always say, you know, um, we listen to your words, but we really watch your feet. Yes. And if you're not, if you're not moving the way you're talking, I don't trust you. Exactly. Carla, pivoting the conversation just a little bit, going back to something you had talked about earlier about relationships. And as a leader or a manager of other people, one of the things that's important in terms of creating a culture which has psychological safety, or another word for that is trust, is that you have to be able to develop relationships where there is candor. 
Can you talk to us a little bit about an opportunity that you had in which you had to work with someone and through candor and your relationship, maybe you gave some feedback that wasn't quite, um, you know, the nicest of all things. You know, sometimes feedback is a corrective issue. And so making employees or having employees feel like, you know, they can take the feedback and then do something from a positive point of view rather than seeing it as criticism and embarrassment or punishment is a sign of a good leader who has managed or is thinking about the idea of psychological safety. Safety, excuse me. I say all of that to say, can you give us an example of what that looks like? I had a developer who I found to be brilliant. Right. But he was always very slow. And we used to have these one-on-one chats, like skip level conversations as, as I did, you know, I either did uh, team skip levels. I would and skip alternate. level is where skip level would, is where I would meet with my my direct reports, direct reports. Okay, and so I would either do it. I would do alternate every quarter. Either I would do the entire skip level team, mm-hmm. or I would do one on ones. Mm-hmm. So I would alternate every quarter. And so this particular developer who had a brilliant mind, mm-hmm. but he was disconnected from the client. Mm-hmm. He didn't interact with the client on a regular basis and he did not see the value of time. Okay. And so just through talking to him and trying to get him to see what was so important about making deadlines, I realized that my message wasn't getting through. And I ended up developing with HR, with the talent management, uh, I'm sorry, the talent team, we ended up putting together a panel. And the panel included HR partners, like from the infrastructure team, Mm -hmm. from um, the ITPMO team, uh, project management, uh, program management office team, to include our internal clients, like from compliance, uh, like from legal, Mm -hmm. like from human resources. And we did some practice. And we had this panel discussion and I invited my entire team. We had people on video conference and basically we went through and we asked questions like, what is good customer service to you? Uh. What happens when we deliver late? And so we had, for example, our compliance partner say, when you deliver late, and I have people who have to certify because they work, they're registered reps, and they have to work with our folks who are participants who have um, their retirement right. dollars with right. us. Right. And they're not able to certify uh, that they've correctly done trades right. and that kind of thing. Then I get at the end of each quarter about. 300 calls or emails a day with complaints. Wow. And I can't address them because I don't write code. Right. And so I saw this one developer. It wasn't just for him, but it was for everyone. He wrote four solid pages of notes. Wow. And I saw almost, I could almost visually see the light bulb go off over his head. The smoke coming out of his head as he finally connected what he did. And it was so simple, but it, but it it just took connecting the dots. And I'm, I, you know, you said that's simple, but it's actually not very simple because, <laughs> you know, two three days ago I just did this presentation called "Measure What Matters," 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's supposed to be the HR cheat sheet for HR metrics. And, and in it, I talk about all the time, we often tell people the why the efficiency. So we got efficiency numbers, we have effectiveness numbers mm-hmm. and performance reviews, et cetera. But it really doesn't change anybody until they understand the impact. Yes. And that one, what you think is a simple exercise, right. a panel probably took you, what, an hour to do? Right. Um, exactly. Changed not only his perception, but it's solidified for the entire team that we matter. Yes. And and that's the song today, right? Yes. You know, whether it's exactly. Simon Sinek or anybody else that you can name, why we matter. Mm-hmm. Well, that simple exercise, which was good for both sides, because now Absolutely. everybody's being heard, yes. right? Which builds trust. Mm-hmm. I matter. Absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah. Great, great, great partnership. For everyone listening, I hope that what you are taking away from this is just Carla's heart to be a great leader meant that she wanted to be one, that she took the knowledge that she had, acquisition of knowledge, and then applied that knowledge for sustainable change, not just for her, but for everyone who worked with her, um, was on her teams, and the customers, internal customers that she served. The next piece is really for you to take away the nuggets, like the capstone of all that you have heard and what it means when you actually put it together. I mean, all of that support, that those are recognitions, those are examples that you now can tell Yes, about absolutely. what engagement really means in the workplace. Yes. These are live stories about what that means. Yes. And, and what I will say about my team members ac- across the board, you know, since I've been at my company, is that it was very natural for me to try to find ways to help them succeed. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's part of what made me successful. Mm-hmm. It made me feel successful. Right. So I and I've had debates about this with people, with with others, with colleagues. There, there's a young lady who worked for me who had been kind of in the same role in the same part of the company for five years, and she was definitely a, a high performer rising star underutilized right and i connected her with a couple of different people and said we've you've got to get out of this little box right here you need to exposure and she ended up being hired in another part of the company in an area where i thought her skills would would really uh, be highlighted and she could grow and there were some people who felt like that was a loss like she didn't leave the company. She was ready to leave the company. Right. She was ready to go take right. a consulting job somewhere right. else. Right. But to me, that was a win. Yeah. That wasn't attrition. Right. That was growth. Right. I don't care if it was a vertical right. role. It right. was in a bigger part of the company. Right. It was exposure. It was a different role. It, it was a supporting a different customer, multiple customers. And and she's doing a great job. Okay. And so that, to me, is what we should be doing, right. is, is building and lifting each other up. And I think that that's at the core of what makes us uh, good leaders. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I know that my, um, everybody on the, on the audience and the listening audience is just going to find this the most fascinating thing, as well as executives who now have more concrete examples of how support works in the workplace and employees of 
having a picture of when it works well, what yes. does it look like? And right. that's what you bring to this, is that you are a living example of when it works well, well beyond what's written in the literature. Yes. You made it work. So thank you very much, okay? Thank you. All right, Thanks. bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, that's a wrap. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast. Please leave comments below. I'd love to know what you're thinking. If you liked it, share it. If you didn't like it, share it, because I guarantee it's going to start a conversation that will help you close the gap. I want to thank the C-Suite Radio Network for hosting my podcast. It is the largest network dedicated to the growth and development of leaders worldwide. I'd also like to thank Ivan G. Hall for the music that you are currently enjoying. Hey, check him out. He's really a great musician. And finally, I have two other requests. One is, please, please, please leave a review on this, either on Apple or Google or wherever you get your podcast. And the other is, don't forget, please look up my book, Remarkable Leadership Lessons, Change Results, One Conversation at a Time. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble in paperback, as well as Kindle versions. And with that, it's a wrap. Talk to you next week. Bye.